Welcome to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Patton. The Xterra mission is to explore and discuss the business of space and its effect on the national and global economy as well as life on Earth. How does what happens in space affect your life every day? That's what we're exploring on the Xterra website as well as on this podcast. Our guest on the program today is Simon Drake, President and CEO of the Space Commodities Exchange. Simon, thank you for joining us on the Xterra podcast. Thanks for having me. Let's do, first of all, just a brief description of the Space Commodities Exchange. What is it and why did you establish the company? Uh, the founders and I established the company because we saw a need to um, have a platform in a financial sense and a physical sense um, to exchange commodities. So we came together with a concrete idea that we had to have a, a financial, we had to design financial products and a physical platforms in order to make a commodities exchange possible. So what it is, is uh, our, our goal at the moment is to have multiple orbiting platforms, one in the Earth orbit, another one in a geosynchronous orbit, and hopefully one in a lunar orbit, where you can um, hold commodities, meter them, um, so people can buy and sell them. And we just act as an exchange. We don't want to always be the buyer and seller. Mm -hmm. We want to be the mediator. We want to be the marketplace. So, and we want we want people to be able to forward order commodities. So, for example, if you're planning a space mission that's five years in the future, we want you to be able to order from our exchange a product like water by uh, you know, let's say a thousand liters, um, mm -hmm. so that you can fix in a price, and that makes budgeting for these long term missions a lot more easier. And in exchange, due to the free market, it evens out um, price volatility. So when I think about a commodities exchange, and I grew up in the Midwest, and I always think about cattle futures or corn futures or things of that nature, how does, how does the space commodities exchange kind of equate to that more terrestrial example? Uh, it's, it's the space commodities exchange is actually, um, when you think about it, it's just terrestrial, but off world. So, as we would say, <laughs> yeah, now we can use that word without, you know, grinning too much. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is the goal that you, as civilization and industry moves, you know, into low earth orbit and geosynchronous orbit and, and further onward and upward, um, and commerce is there as well. At some point, commerce overtakes government mm -hmm. as the momentum. And commerce brings with it a whole bunch, a whole toolkit of things. And one of them is something like a, a commodities exchange of, of forward ordering things. Um, in this case, you know, we look at commodities in the world of propulsion because uh, one of our founders is, is focuses on that. Um, I personally also look at commodities as like resources, mm -hmm. you know, uh, when we can, you know, go through the complicated procedure of extracting resources from the lunar surface. Um, there's not, at this stage, there's no relative business modeling sense to bring it all the way back to Earth unless it's something like a very precious. So why not take a resource from the lunar surface to an intermediate point, um, like a, an orbiting terminal in a geosynchronous orbit. And if that resource is, can be used for propulsion or life-giving like oxygen, 
then it becomes tradable. Then people mm. want to be able to uh, book ahead and set a price for it. And once you have a price, the price, uh, even though it will move around a bit, it kind of gives uh, a business model for a buyer and a seller or an extractor and a user a point from which they can work from. So what's the need for such a trading platform? Why why did you sit down and say, here's here's something that nobody's doing yet that really needs to be done? What is the need? Uh, the, the need is, um, well, it, it kind of evolves in concept and requirement. And I think previously to the founders, it was, you know, you could see this coming up that you need a, a mechanism. First of all, you need an orbiting terminal at some point to hold resources and commodities like propulsion. Mm-hmm. Um, because why uh, take all this propulsion with you when you want to blast off from Earth if you can just blast off from Earth and refuel in space? Right. And that then that propulsion goes a lot further. So that, that was one, that was the physical side of it. You know, it was escaping the Earth gravity world, get to space, dock somewhere, um, forward order your propulsion, transfer it to your, sh- your craft and off you go. You don't have to pack all the propulsion with you from Earth. So that was one thing, that's the physical side where you say, okay, there's going to be a need for an orbiting terminal. The other side is the financial need where you, you want to be able to lock in a price, but also at let the market or uh, let the... You know, the nature of the market, um, discover what the price is through price discovery. So you could imagine you know, if, if a resources company goes to the expense to extract oxygen from regolith from the lunar surface, which mm-hmm. is you know, by no means a cheap thing, um, they will have a cost, they will have a fixed cost, they will have a, a sell cost per, let's call it a unit of oxygen, whereas a buyer of the unit of oxygen will have a different cost. Or right. a different buy price. So an exchange from a financial point of view is the meet, is the meeting point of these two uh, different bodies. So what then is your primary mission? If you had to boil it down to the primary mission of the Space Commodities Exchange, what is that? The primary mission is to be the uh, and multiple exchanges and multiple orbits capable of holding multiple kinds of commodities um, and we just start with oxygen or, or xenon right. um, so that we can refuel spacecraft, um, trade resources, whether it's lifted off from the Earth or from you know the, our closest planet, the moon. Um, and in the future, hopefully, maybe this will happen in our lifetimes, who knows, uh, you could extract commodities out of you know like a, an asteroid, mm-hmm. you extract the water out of it. Um, that that is our goal, and to allow people to be able to trade, because trade is trade is the fuel of commerce. Right. Now, Simon, are, does your company intend to build its own spacecraft? Do you intend to build these orbiting gas stations and and launch them, or is that something that you're going to contract out with someone else to do? Uh, at this stage, the the plan is that. F- among the founders, we work out how to do that. So we looked at mm-hmm. different providers at the moment, uh, different technological technology providers, and say, all right, who can actually supply a cryogenic tank, and you know, on what uh, launch do, you know, rocket does it fit on, right. and what orbit can be reached? Um, and so we actually build it. We don't. You don't. We don't engineer anything ourselves at the moment, mm-hmm. um, but some of our founders do. You know, work on those. 
uh, intricate designs, you know, to do with couplings, to do with zero gravity tr fluid transfers. So at this stage, short answer, we don't develop anything ourselves. Uh, as a company, we look to what already exists in the market because our way forward, you know, in the next year or two is to work out how to build an orbiting exchange. Um, and I'm pretty sure most of the supply chain already exists. It's more of a case of putting it together and overcoming the, the new emerging problems. So talk about a little bit the synergies between the two aspects of the company, the commodities and then the exchange. What, how do those two things coexist? The interplay between the commodities and the exchange is that an exchange enables us to commoditize the commodities if or commoditize the particular commodity. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, you could say in 10 years in the future, a successful lunar oxygen extractor places... Um, 2,000 kilograms of oxygen you know, compressed right. onto an orbiting terminal. So then an exchange will say, well, we have a customer who, who maybe just wants, you know, five kilograms or another one who wants 500 kilograms. Mm -hmm. So an exchange enables you to divide a commodity or resource into units and attach a price to it and a delivery date. Right. So as a, as a physical orbiting facility – if you have a storage capacity of, you know, let's say 10,000 kilograms and you have 5,000 kilograms of, of oxygen, um, that's as an example, um, then you can meter out, you know, a small amount, a large amount, depending on the contract size and depending on when. So then you talk a little bit about the first product for the first customer. What do you mean by that? Um we're looking at the um, well. The first product is going to be you know in in the tens of kilograms and not mm. you know a, a, in a large amount. And the first tradable commodity will be propellants that address the needs of a variety of satellites. Um, because of confidentiality, we can't really go into it. Right. But the, the the goal with our first product is we know it's small. We we know the target market is you know addressing either satellites and it leads into satellite servicing. But for us, the most important thing is it is it establishes the framework for being able to trade, in this case, commodity slash propulsion, mm -hmm. off world. And from that, we can start building up a, a wider variety range of products. Now, the products, of course, are based on was what physically what is actually coming up from Earth at this stage because that is the you know supplier. Um, so this is the goal of our first product is to a get started and b build the framework and continually evolve it as as the as the range of products evolves to meet demand. You're listening to the Xterra podcast. I'm Tom Patton, and we're talking with Simon Drake, president and CEO of the Space Commodities Exchange. Simon, you talked a little bit earlier about different destinations in space. You have low Earth orbit, um, geostationary Earth orbit, and then lunar orbit. What are some of the challenges involved in each of those destinations, and, and why do you need three? Um, I think we need three because low Earth orbit, you know, e even though it's, you know, obviously lower and, you know, you have to expend a lot of energy to maintain that orbit, mm -hmm. um, this, this is where the growing uh, businesses in terms of, you know, think of all the proposed satellite swarms that, 
you know, will provide, you know, global coverage for Internet, Internet of Things. Uh, so if you add on that global swarm, this satellite servicing layer of technology and satellite refueling, and then you do the same for geosynchronous orbit where, you know, we have a plethora of uh, communication satellites. Mm -hmm. And so an orbiting terminal out there would be beneficial to service satellites that operate in that region. They're already there. They've been there, you know, for decades. Mm -hmm. The third level is, of course, a, a lunar orbit, you know, whether it's a low lunar orbit or an L1 or L2, that services a commercial function or even an exchange that is able to sell commodities uh, to uh, space agency missions. For right. example, uh, how, how I play out one scenario 10, 15 years in the future is you can extract you know, water off the moon, complicated procedure as it is. Mm -hmm. You can store it in, a, on a, in a, one of the lunar orbits and then a space agency on its way to Mars can take some of that water off right. and then you know, and then use it on its way to Mars. That's that's a like a long term high level perspective and and that's for me the the probably the highest uh, concept I'd push at the moment. So the obvious uh, benefit to that is they wouldn't have to lift spend the fuel and the money to to lift that amount of water that they would need to go all the way to Mars from Earth. It's a lot less expensive to load it up in in transit and takes a lot less fuel to move it onto Mars in that in that regard. That that is exactly it at the moment. Because if you if you look at the um the expenditure of well the the propulsion required to 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 get off Earth into a low Earth orbit and a geosynchronous mm -hmm. orbit, it is it's just a massive amount of energy. So the, and the game changes when you can launch into an orbit, refuel in an orbit with a commodity that's ex sourced away from Earth, mm -hmm. um, and then continue on. Now, an another case is where you could find a provider who says, look, I'm just going to lift, uh, launch, in this case, water from Earth and put it in a in a, in a, in a, in a in a stable orbit and and that forms a commodity that's for sale right yeah so then you could have another craft docking with that mm -hmm. taking on uh the resource commodity and then and on what it goes and eventually so they're, they're, go ahead so therefore there's a need to have multiple orbits and look at different business models and when when we look into the business models of okay well we know that you know companies can obviously launch things from earth right now right. uh we have a good understanding of what technology is around that can hold certain uh, propulsion or or you know commodities as we call them um, and then we push our business models out into the future and say, okay, what happens when you can start extracting stuff off the lunar surface and then being able to have it for sale somewhere in an orbit between the Earth and the moon? And then eventually you wind up with the uh, with the space dock that we all are familiar with from Star Trek. That, that... <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, the funny thing is a lot of the science fiction writers, they um, they kind of lived in that age where – a lot of the concepts that we live with in science fiction, they, they come from writers who would have been basing the science fiction on international trade and the way trade rolled out mm -hmm. in the previous centuries. And there was always, um, if you think of the great seafaring nations, they always had ports along the way. Sure. You, you simply couldn't 
um, go from uh, you know Portsmouth, you know the UK, all the all the way to Australia uh, without stopping somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe across the pond to America, yeah, easy. You know. <laughs> but there have always been, and and we've talked about this in the past, just uh, in regular conversation that that there's a there's a historical connection between what we're doing now in space and what those early explorers did to find out what was what was over the horizon yeah that that is um a really good point and it, and it comes up again and again where uh we we know of the early explorers of, of the exploits um but very few of us actually go into the, the supply chain to make it happen <laughs> You know, so all of a sudden Columbus think, just arrives in America. That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm here. Yeah, well, he, he's a good example because he, you know, um, he certainly pushed the limits mm-hmm. of uh, navigation. Um, another one, Captain Cook, you know, he, he kind of pushed the limits of navigation and he also had, you know, advanced technology on his side mm-hmm. advanced at the time. Um, but, a lot, a lot of the great explorers, they they had ports of call on the way, so you could imagine the um, they would have had their own version of commodities exchanges all over the world, mm-hmm. um, and and the instruments behind them right. to enable that transaction is is it's just you know we're just evolving from that, but we're just going into space now, um, and this and this the goal is the same exploration you know resources exploration ex- extraction, um, and the, we and we need transactions and and we need financial instruments to stabilize prices when we do these things. Now you talked about the small satellites for internet and why there might need to be some kind of servicing on it, but aren't those designed mostly to be throwaways? That's why they're putting up so many. Um, I'm glad you, I'm glad you <laughs> put it that way because I was going to say disposable. Uh, yeah, no, that, that was just an example of, uh-huh. you know, but that's a good point. If if you look at the low Earth orbit constellations and you say, well, there's no need to service them because they're all on, you know, at, at the end of their lifestyle, they're, they're dipping into the Earth's atmosphere anyway and, they're, you know, and they're going right. to be deorbited um, <laughs> and, and put on a, a fiery show at that, then there is no market in that area. But then there's the the issue of space debris, which has become a growing concern. How do you envision uh, the Space Commodities Exchange to help in mitigating space debris? Uh, as the apex predator, no. Um, <laughs> no. If if you look at the space debris from a point of new space debris. Mm-hmm. Or cleaning up space debris. Uh, cleaning up space debris is is such a wide field. Um, so let's look at new space debris, which means mitigating it, uh, and avoiding the space debris, which means making sure that satellite spacecraft are refuelable, uh, tugs, space tugs are refuelable, so that they can go out, retrieve some, um, a, you know, a dead satellite or a dead spacecraft, put it in in a, in, a, in a safe orbit, or you know, put it in a declining orbit Mm -hmm. um so for for that for any space debris maneuvers you you need a lot of energy just to move around so once you can refuel or sorry dock refuel go out move a satellite or move a piece of space junk away 
you know, dispose of it, then go back, dock, refuel. That way, a space coin exchange enhances a space debris operation because it prolongs the life from just, you know, one expensive mission, which is, I think, is what is capable now, mm-hmm. to multiple missions and extend the lifespan, lifespan, you know, right into, you know, be able to, to do 10 retrieval operations worth, rather than one. So you're looking at almost the SpaceX model of being, of having that aspect of things be reusable as opposed to go up, service one satellite and then throw away the spacecraft again. Yeah. Well, the, the SpaceX uh, model of, you know, reusable launch vehicles, um, which is, you know, really long overdue um, has to extend outward and outward into space Mm -hmm. um, because the lowering of the cost of launch has to extend to the lowering cost of operations. And the only way to do that is return, refuel, reuse. Right. And once we factor that into our business models, then the, the, the market becomes a lot more realistic. You know, things start to align and you can really see, well, this will work from a business point of view because we have this reusability. It's like you have a fleet of of space tugs that can be refueled rather than just, you know, one shot wonders that, you know, are expensive exercises that may or may not complete their task. So you're listening to the Xterra podcast. I'm Tom Patton, and we're talking with Simon Drake, president and CEO of the space commodities exchange. So if you could boil the basic business model for the space commodities exchange down, what would you say that is? Uh, it's the, Trading of commodities, enabling customers to um, allow a space commodity exchange to hold their commodity and then meter it out so that a commodity can be bought and sold or just on hold for at a later stage. Uh, the engineering side of that is, is of course, uh, you know, a, a fair bit of it is unknown territory because you're dealing with, you know, massive temperature swings. Um, pressure, um, the location of the terminal, uh, how big, how does the terminal scale up to meet demand? So that's our business model: trading commodities. And but we have an eye on on making a, a real commodity tri- uh, sale this year, and then scaling up from there and, and keeping the a, a flow of transactions because that gives us data points. And these data points are vital in planning business models on how space commerce actually you know, spreads out from low Earth orbit to geosynchronous orbit, then to the lunar surface. So do you anticipate any kind of uh, need for, for lack of a better term, space traffic control? Uh, is As you wind up in a situation where there might be multiple spacecraft trying to get in and refuel and get on about their, about their business? Uh, that is one of the, one of the hot topics at the moment because uh, of you know space debris, the, uh, collision avoidance, and the need to know from a geo- geopolitical point of view of, of who is doing what and where and why, mm-hmm. and if you follow that particular sector of, of what I call the strategic space value chain, uh, it is quite interesting that this. This element of control, you know, a lot of it is undertaken by, you know, the U.S., mm-hmm. you know, which everyone's thankful for. Um, but I think at some stage you might need like a, an intermediate in there as well to, to manage that control. 
that I'm I'm not into the control business, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm sure you know it it is something that will become a lot more apparent in the future. When you talk about exchange of commodities and for things like the Securities and Exchange Commission and things of that nature, there's there's a lot of regulation that goes into the way commodities are traded on earth. Are you running into or are you anticipating uh, additional regulations or do you think it will be covered under existing terrestrial regulations? How do you see the, the system being regulated? Uh, the best way to uh, to deal with it is to fit in with the existing regulation. Mm-hmm. Um and that is to look at the, the existing exchanges and what it takes to list a product. And it basically slide in with that because if you, the moment you start adding on existing layers of regulation, then the, the business of trade, you know, kind of grinds to a, a snail's pace, if not a halt. So our current goal is to look at existing tra- uh, exchange platforms, existing regulation, fit in with that. But mm-hmm. of course, when you're dealing with a, um, let's say, a a commodity in space that in order for it to be delivered, it becomes its own spacecraft, then you're dealing with a different set of laws. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actual transaction, the trade, we look to existing uh, regulatory frameworks. Do you see that as being controlled by the country that the purchaser or seller is um, resides in or is, is incorporated in because it spaces is, space law, as you well know, is a wide open, almost wild west field. Nobody really has a good handle on, on who's going to have the jurisdiction. Yeah, that's, that's, that is definitely one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is if you look at the current laws on a, a nation responsible for a launch is still responsible for that object mm-hmm. you know, in space. Um, so I'm pretty sure what will follow is an extension of that, that if, if an exchange is launched from the U.S., then it's, then it's pretty much a U.S.-regulated situation. Right. Um, now, when you have a, a cross-country uh, transfer in orbit, that could be the um, the moment where the, the lawyers come out to interpret uh, the laws in their own different ways. Um, as, as you know, as a CEO of of a emerging space startup, I try not to get too entangled with the what ifs on on the regulation front, mm-hmm. because we don't know what's going to what it's what laws will be enacted in five or ten years that impact our business model. All I know is that our job is to build a business, build a framework, and have an input on the laws that need to be amended and updated to make the the marketplace uh, a lot more um, competitive. And less restrictive. And is that what you anticipated doing? Was lobbying when you got into being a CEO of a space startup? <laughs> no, I I had no. I, I didn't. You know, I, I don't yet have a lobbyist on my CV, um, and I don't. I don't know if that will ever come to me. Um, but I do think at some point you will need to the commercial side of. The space industry, and I'm talking about the new emerging space industry. Mm-hmm. 
the commercial side, including all the startups who you know are making different kinds of CubeSats or, or different you know space debris mitigation um, spacecraft or anything like that, or even even the companies that are you know want to put rovers on the surface of the moon. I, th I think there will have to be some uh, group persuasiveness applied mm -hmm. on the global community to say, look, you know, space is um, empty and it's our new playing field. So we need a bit of elbow room to, um, to work in this area um, and we don't need the restrictions. And, I mean, half the idea of going to space is because you do avoid restrictions that you have on mm -hmm. Earth. So as best you can, Simon, gaze into your crystal ball and tell me where you see um, space commodities in five or ten years. Uh, five years, I would say our plan or my, my personal goal would be to have uh, one commodity exchange terminal with servicing five different customers offering a, different, a limited range of, let's say, five types of commodities slash propulsion. And if that's possible within five years, the rule of fives, mm -hmm. um, then I think that's pretty good progress. Ten years, you'd, you'd want to be doing not ten times as much, but let's just say four times as much. And that would signify that space commerce is is really moving on. That would mean that you have uh, an act that companies have active fleets of spacecraft performing different tasks, whether it's satellite servicing or earth observation um, or communications and that refuelable satellites are indeed being refueled. Mm -hmm. And therefore there needs to be a terminal to refuel them, which means from a business model point of view, we can say to investors, large scale investors, look, there are fleets of refuelable satellites. They need a terminal. We know how to make the terminal. We know the, the financial products behind it. Uh, therefore, it makes a market. That's, that, and that is my crystal ball gaze. There you of, go. Of, of where we will be. Simon Drake is president and CEO of the Space Commodities Exchange. Simon, thank you very much for joining us on this edition of the Xterra podcast. Thanks, Tom. It's been a pleasure. This has been the first of four conversations we'll be having with Simon. Next time, we'll look more in-depth into mining in space, from the moon to the asteroids, and how those resources may be used. That is going to do it for this edition of the Xterra podcast. You can find us on the web at xterrajsc.com, and be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at xterrajsc. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for listening.